Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star and zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norman. I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Triple Negative Breast Cancer in African American Women. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program and for so many of these programs that we've done on triple negative breast cancer and for their support of our triple negative helpline, which we'll be hearing more about during the call. Um, and today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc., a grant from Genentech and the Celgene Corporation. And I really want to thank them again for the support of this program. Now, we have a lot of people on the call today, um, and as you come from all over the United States, we have over 300 participants on the call today, and you come from Canada, the Dominican Republic. Well, we actually have people from other parts of the country as well, world as well, so I wanted to say from the United States, we have people from both urban, rural, and suburban areas, and frontier communities as well. And we have international participants from Canada, the Dominican Republic, Egypt, Germany, Slovakia, and Russia. So it's a really bit of a global call on today's program. And um, uh, we're delighted that you've all chosen to spend the next hour with us to learn more about um, triple negative breast cancer in African-American women. Um, and we have just wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Lisa Newman. And Dr. Newman is Chief Division of Breast Surgery Director, Interdisciplinary Breast Program, Wild Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital Network. Dr. Newman will be addressing Overview of Triple Negative Breast Cancer, or TNBC, in African-American women, the role of surgery in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer in African-American women in the context of COVID-19 and healthcare disparities. Then follow-up care plan and African-American women's participation in COVID-19 vaccine and treatment clinical trials. And lastly, the importance of communicating with your healthcare team, key questions to ask, including telehealth appointments and social distancing. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Newman. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It's always an absolute pleasure and honor to participate in these wonderful programs that you coordinate. And as you mentioned, I will be spending my allocation of time discussing uh, principles of managing triple negative breast cancer. And I'd like to start out by commenting that even though triple negative breast cancer appropriately has a reputation for being a biologically aggressive form of breast cancer, because we have such wonderful treatments and advances in the management of breast cancer, including triple negative disease, most women with breast cancer will still have a good outcome. And especially with triple negative breast cancer, screening and early detection is essential. 
And I think that this is particularly important to emphasize in this day and age where we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so there's been an abundance of our health care resources that have been focused on managing the COVID-19 pandemic. And this has resulted in our need to actually place screening programs such as mammographic screening programs on hiatus. This was a temporary necessity, but I encourage everybody in your audience to make sure that as soon as the screening programs and the mammography facilities resume normal practices, it is essential that women continue to get their screening mammograms, which should be on a yearly basis for all women beginning at age 40, and sometimes even younger for women that have evidence of hereditary susceptibility, familial uh, breast cancer. They may need to get their mammograms younger than age 40, and they may need supplemental tests such as screening MRI. Even though, again, screening programs have been on hiatus because of the pandemic, it's important to get back on track as soon as the mammography facilities uh, resume practices. So now in addressing the first uh, question that I was assigned, which is treatment of triple negative breast cancer, I must say that the principles of surgery in triple negative breast cancer are really the same principles that we address for non-triple negative breast cancers. And there are three important principles that come into the picture when we are developing a surgical plan for a newly diagnosed breast cancer patient. The first two principles are related to the surgical management of the breast itself, and the third principle is related to evaluating the lymph nodes or the staging part of the surgical plan. The first two of these principles are as follows. Number one, you want to get rid of that primary tumor lump. And this is most logical. It's the same principle that we have to address regardless of whether we're talking about a cancer in a woman's breast, a cancer in the colon, in the ovaries. Wherever that cancerous growth is located, you want to remove it. And this is why the high majority of women with breast cancer do need to have some surgery as at least one component of their care. The second principle is a bit more specific or unique to cancers that we do find in a woman's breast. And this is the principle that the entire breast will somehow need to be treated. Treating the entire breast is important because even though we might find the cancer by doing a biopsy of a particular abnormality, such as a particular lump in the woman's breast, most women will actually have microscopic invisible cancer cells hiding in the completely normal appearing breast tissue surrounding that cancerous lump. It only makes sense that you want to reduce the chances that any of those microscopic areas of cancer will continue to grow and turn into other future lumps or future problems on other mammograms. And so this is why the entire breast has to somehow be treated. So in addressing these first two principles with the surgical plan for the breast itself, we have two different strategies. The oldest form of treatment for breast cancer is mastectomy surgery. And so by doing a mastectomy where we completely remove the breast surgically, we are basically taking care of both of those first two principles in one fell swoop. For women who are facing a mastectomy for their breast cancer, and sometimes it's because of personal preference, sometimes it's because of features related to the pattern of the disease, 
in any of these circumstances, we always want the woman to meet with the plastic surgeon to discuss the breast reconstruction options. And most of the time, we can do breast reconstruction at the same time that the mastectomy is being performed, which is what we call immediate reconstruction. Sometimes the reconstruction can be delayed and can be performed months or years after the mastectomy has been performed, depending on the individual specific circumstances. Now, because the plastic surgeons have made such wonderful advances in the types of reconstruction that can be offered, you can get a beautiful cosmetic result from mastectomy and reconstruction. But of course, it's never quite the same as the woman's own natural original breast. And this is why we have the alternative surgical plan, which is known as breast conserving or breast saving surgery. With breast conserving surgery, we perform a lumpectomy to remove the primary spot where the cancer was initially diagnosed and biopsied. And if the lumpectomy was successful, meaning that we've removed that entire cancerous lump with negative margins, meaning that we don't see any microscopic cancer cells at the surfaces or the edges of the lumpectomy specimen, after that lumpectomy, we then offer the woman radiation treatments. And the radiation treatments, which are targeted X-ray doses to the breast itself, those radiation treatments are very, very effective at killing the microscopic amounts of cancer hiding in the normal appearing breast tissue. Survival from breast cancer is exactly the same, regardless of whether the woman has chosen the mastectomy or the lumpectomy and radiation. The woman who chooses the breast conserving surgery, the lumpectomy and the radiation, does have to have her breast monitored because the breast cancer could potentially regrow in the breast, or she could get a completely new breast cancer, which could happen on either side. But those offenses don't tend to affect survival. The potentially life-threatening aspect of breast cancer is the risk of those breast cancer cells ever metastasizing or spreading to other organs. And by other organs, I'm referring to spread of the cancer to the liver, lungs, bones, brain, distant organs. That's the aspect of breast cancer that is the most feared. And whether the woman has a lumpectomy or a mastectomy will not affect that risk of distant metastatic disease. We are, however, always looking for clues to tell us whether or not a particular breast cancer is aggressive enough to travel to other organs, hide in other organs, and potentially be a life-threatening metastatic breast cancer. And this is where the third principle of managing the breast cancer comes into the picture, which is the staging of the cancer by surgically removing some of the lymph nodes in, or glands in the underarm area. And these are typically what we call the sentinel lymph nodes, the most important lymph nodes that are responsible for draining that woman's breast cancer. We perform the sentinel lymph node biopsy surgery at the same time that the breast surgery is being performed. And if that sentinel lymph node biopsy shows that the cancer cells have traveled into those lymph nodes of the underarm, that's an important red flag, an important clue that the woman has an aggressive enough breast cancer that might be hiding in other organs already. 
Now, this does not mean that the cancer is untreatable or incurable, but it does mean that we want to give special medical treatments for the breast cancer, which will kill the microscopic cancer cells from the breast that are hiding in other organs. Sometimes these medical treatments are in the, in the form of special cancer-fighting pills. Sometimes it's in the form of chemotherapy. When we see that the cancer cells are hiding in the lymph nodes, that's an important clue that the woman will need chemotherapy in addition to the surgical management of her breast cancer. So it's critical for breast cancer patients to understand that the recommendation for chemotherapy has nothing to do with whether she's had a lumpectomy on the radiation or the mastectomy. The decision for whether or not a woman has a breast cancer which is aggressive enough to need chemotherapy is going to be based in large part upon the lymph node information, but it will also be based upon the microscopic pattern of the cancer. And this is where we get into a discussion about different breast cancer subtypes, including the subtype commonly known as triple negative breast cancer. Three of the important biomarkers or molecular proteins that we always have to evaluate on any breast cancer, and we get this information from the initial breast biopsy, these three markers are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and the HER2-NU marker, and HER2-NU is a growth factor protein. These three markers are assessed by applying special stains to the biopsy material that was sent to the pathology laboratory. For cancers that are negative for all three of those markers, these are the cancers that we call triple negative breast cancers. And triple negative breast cancers in general tend to be more aggressive than non-triple negative breast cancers. And so we do have a lower threshold for recommending chemotherapy in addition to the surgical management of a woman with a triple negative breast cancer. And this, again, is why triple negative breast cancers uh, tend to be more aggressive. They do tend to require more aggressive uh, treatment. Other features that are uh, somewhat more unique to triple negative breast cancers compared to non-triple negative breast cancers are that triple negative breast cancers are more commonly associated with BRCA1 mutations. In other words, women who have genetic or hereditary predisposition for breast cancer because they have a mutation in this particular gene called BRCA1, these women are more likely to be diagnosed with triple negative breast cancers compared to non-triple negative breast cancers. And so whenever we meet a woman with a triple negative breast cancer, we pretty routinely recommend that she undergo genetic testing to see if she does indeed have a BRCA1 mutation. Triple negative breast cancers overall in the United States account for a minority, only about 15% of all breast cancers but these types of breast cancers are twice as common in African-American women compared to white American women. And there are a number of different hypotheses as to why African-American women have a higher risk for being diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer compared to a non-triple negative breast cancer. It probably is, at least in part, 
explained by some genetic biologic differences between women with African ancestry compared to women that do not have African ancestry. And this is actually the focus of some of the research that my uh, research team has been performing. Now, even though a triple negative breast cancer does tend to be biologically more aggressive, I again want to stress that with appropriate treatment, most women with triple negative breast cancer will have a good outcome, especially if that triple negative breast cancer was caught at an early stage. So again, screening for breast cancer by getting those mammograms on a yearly basis is especially important in detecting these uh, aggressive forms of breast cancer, such as triple negative disease. Now, for the triple negative breast cancers, since we do tend to recommend chemotherapy in addition to the surgical management more frequently, and we tend to recommend chemotherapy in addition to surgery even when the lymph nodes are negative, it then becomes reasonable to question whether or not it might be preferable to do the chemotherapy before the surgery. And the outcomes from either of these two treatment sequences are actually comparable. So the main message is that the woman needs to get all of the treatment that she needs for her cancer, her surgical management, and her chemotherapy if chemotherapy is necessary. And then the sequence isn't necessarily going to affect outcome. Some um, advantages of receiving chemotherapy prior to the surgery, which is what we call preoperative or neoadjuvant chemotherapy, include the fact that the chemotherapy can make the tumor in the breast shrink down more and make the woman a potentially better candidate to have a lumpectomy because the tumor in the breast will be smaller and more amenable to lumpectomy surgery. Preoperative chemotherapy can also melt away disease that might be hiding in the lymph nodes and improve eligibility of the patient to have less extensive surgery, which is necessary for those lymph nodes of the underarm. Also, giving the chemotherapy prior to the surgery simply allows the woman to have more time so that she can then sort out her surgical preferences, including any interest that she might have in different reconstruction options if she does decide that she wants to pursue the mastectomy approach. Now, another uh, issue that uh, became apparent for us to have to deal with in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic was that in focusing all of our healthcare resources on managing the COVID-19 pneumonias, it also became necessary to have to postpone or to reschedule many of the breast cancer surgeries that we were performing because we wanted to minimize exposures of our patients to the coronavirus, which they could be exposed to in the hospital or in the operating room. And so we became more aggressive during this pandemic about recommending chemotherapy prior to the surgical management of the cancer. And this was a particularly attractive option for our patients diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer because so many of these women will indeed need chemotherapy no matter what. And so we had the opportunity of giving them the chemotherapy first and then rescheduling their surgery a few months later after the chemotherapy had been completed and giving us a chance to get a handle on and to uh, mitigate the risks of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Uh, I again want to stress that outcomes, survival from triple negative breast cancer is the same regardless of the sequence, chemotherapy first versus surgery first. As long as the woman gets all of her treatment, that's what's important. I do want to, in closing, make a few other comments about the COVID pandemic in the context of breast cancer management. Also, in the spirit of trying to reduce the number of visits that a patient has to the clinic and to the hospital, and thereby reduce her exposure to the COVID virus, we have used telehealth, telemedicine, much more abundantly. And this has been a really nice way for us to continue advising and counseling our patients on a regular basis while reducing the need for the patient to visit the hospital and allowing us to adhere to the social distancing policies that have been so critical in controlling this pandemic. Now, it has also become apparent recently that African-Americans also have higher incidence rates of the COVID-19 infection. They also have higher mortality rates from COVID-19. Since we know that socioeconomic disadvantages such as poverty are more than twice as high in the African-American community compared to other racial ethnic subsets of the population, and that these socioeconomic disadvantages go hand in hand with healthcare access barriers, which cause higher rates of diabetes, hypertension, a whole host of healthcare threats to the African-American community. It really shouldn't have been much of a surprise. It was actually rather predictable that we as African-Americans would also suffer to a disparate degree from COVID-19 mortality. However, although this disparity from COVID-19, it's certainly heartbreaking, but it was predictable And now we have a very important window of an opportunity because there are other consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic that are also predictable in the discussion of disparities. But we have a window of opportunity to try to mitigate some of these disparities. Because of COVID-19, as I mentioned initially, we've placed a mammography screening program on hiatus. African-Americans are probably going to be disparately affected by this hiatus and we've already had more advanced stage distribution of breast cancer in African-Americans, this will probably be aggravated by the screening hiatus that we've had to uh, pursue. It'll be really, really important for us in the cancer advocacy community to make sure that our African-American patients in particular get back on track with screening mammography programs as the mammography facilities open back up again. We also have to make sure that we galvanize our cancer clinical trials education community and advocacy community to make sure that we get African-Americans accrued onto the COVID-19 treatment trials and the COVID-19 vaccine trials. We cannot allow uh, these trials to be underway without diverse accrual Otherwise, we won't be able to learn more, as learn what we need to learn about the effectiveness of these vaccines and these treatments in the African-American community. And just as African ancestry may well be associated with the genetic factors increasing the risk of triple negative breast cancer, some of these African ancestry genetic factors 
also predisposed to certain issues in the lungs, which may be predisposing us to worse outcomes from the COVID pneumonias. And so we have to make sure that African-Americans are on these trials so that we can evaluate the effectiveness of these various agents in the African-American community. And so I'll close there, uh, but again, I thank you, Dr. Messner, for allowing me to participate in this very important program. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Newman. That was an outstanding, just really superb presentation. And also you covered so many critical issues for our participants to really carry away with them. And the way you present your material in terms of principles and the organization of it, I hope that many of you will really, that Dr. Newman's words will resonate with you because there's such important messages and such important information for you all to have. And um, so thank you so much, Dr. Newman. Um, just outstanding. And, um, and our next speaker is uh, Dr. Shavita Vinyak. Dr. Vinyak is, is, with a, is a physician with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, Assistant Professor in Medical Oncology, University of Washington School of Medicine, Assistant Professor, Clinical Research Division, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. And Dr. Vignac has actually worked with us for many years, and she will be addressing um, uh, um, precision medicine, understanding the genomics and genetics of PNBC that help to inform your treatment, current standard of care and new treatment approaches, and quality of life concerns in the context of COVID-19, clinical trial updates, how research contributes to your treatment options, and tips to manage side effects, neuropathy, discomfort, and pain. It's really my great privilege to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Vinyak. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk to all of you on the call today. Um, I'm very excited to talk about some of the newer treatments and uh, the topics that Carolyn just mentioned. Um, I'm going to uh, give you a broad overview, and then every time I change topic, I'll just bring that up as well. Um, so the landscape of treatment options for at least advanced stage, or what we call metastatic triple negative breast cancer, has changed rapidly, and it's all for the positive. It's all really good news. Um, there, it's been a, an exciting couple of years for triple negative breast cancer since just within the last two years, we've actually had three types of new um, The first one is an immunotherapy drug, um, what's called also a checkpoint inhibitor, and we'll talk about that. Um, a second one is a PARP inhibitor, and a third one is a, a category of drug called antibody drug conjugate. And we'll discuss that as well. And this is really hot off the press approval just as of a week ago. Um, so very exciting. We'll also talk about um, side effects of these drugs later on. And um, there are many other drugs that are being evaluated in early stage triple negative breast cancer, and I'll touch base on those as well. So Dr. Newman has um, done a phenomenal job, you know, giving an excellent overview of triple negative breast cancer. I just wanted to highlight a couple of other things um, before we talk about uh, other topics. So I know patients, um, at least in medical oncology clinic, when they come in, um, you know, uh, triple negative breast cancer uh, sort of has this reputation of um, obviously uh, sometimes in the community, 
there's a reputation that there aren't any good treatments for this type of breast cancer, and um, it tends to be sort of this disheartening news, which is very understandable. Um, but I really urge you to look at some good websites out there um, because there's uh, you know some bad information on the internet. Um, so some of the good sites that I recommend is, uh, of course, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has very good, reliable information. Also, the National Cancer Institute has very uh, great information on uh, triple negative breast cancer. In terms of you know how we treat triple negative breast cancer, chemotherapy still re remains the mainstay of drugs that we offer in early stage setting. And Dr. Newman already covered the sequence of drugs um, and surgery, uh, which is really a decision that's made with you and the breast cancer team, which includes multiple specialists, what's the best way to sequence those two, uh, those two components of your treatment. And then also immunotherapy is being looked at in early stage breast cancer in combination with chemotherapy. However, that's not approved yet. Um, when we do chemotherapy upfront, what we call preoperative or prior to surgery, or another term you may have heard is called neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And when patients go to surgery, and, and if there's still what we call residual triple negative breast cancer that's identified in either the breast or the lymph nodes that the surgeon has already removed, but what the residual cancer tells us that the best standard chemotherapy that you got up front, the cancer didn't all melt away with that chemotherapy. In that case, when there's residual cancer, we also recommend an additional oral pill chemotherapy called capecitabine or Zolota. And then there are clinical trials also going on in this area, which we'll touch base on. And this is basically to look at, you know, are there other ways to improve the outcomes of patients who have residual cancer after they've completed um, the standard chemotherapy prior to surgery. Um, and then there are many other options for metastatic breast cancer, including clinical trials, um, which uh, still remain, uh, you know, really good standard um, options that are available. So. Switching gear to clinical research, um, I'll discuss some of the successes of clinical trials uh, in a few minutes, but just in very general terms what clinical research is. In terms of um, clinical trials, I think it really offers um, patients a chance to benefit you know, yourself from newer therapies and also others down the road. Um, I think there are some mis misconceptions about clinical trials, um, you know, which I just want to address. I think, you know, people at times don't participate in clinical trials because of fear of cost. There's also concerns about side effects of treatments, which is very reasonable. And also, sometimes there is, you know, a fear that they may get a placebo medication for their cancer. So I just wanted to bring up that placebos, which means, you know, non-active drugs or what, you know, just so, sort of in the um, general term, what, what these are referred as sort of like just a sugar pill. Um, they're almost never used in cancer treatment trials since that would not be ethical. Um, and the designs of these clinical trials go through a very stringent process 
within our own institutions and also nationally. And clinical trials are really uh, the way, you know, the promising dr new drugs are tested and uh, they, you know, and the progress against cancer is made if obviously these end up being successful drugs and make it to the market that is available for everybody else's use. Our best new standard treatments that are available today that we use in clinic on a day-to-day -day basis were at some point a clinical trial of the past, and several thousands of patients who participated in these trials really helped move the field forward, and these treatments are benefiting many patients today, which is wonderful. Um, and trials are also one way physicians bring new drugs to their patients, and only when they're proven and tested, um, they make, it, uh, make their way to the market. And actually, only a few patients who are eligible go on studies. Um, uh, there are, like I said, very stringent criteria and really made for the safety of the patients. Um, and there's all this criteria that needs to be met for a patient to go on a clinical trial. Sometimes I think you know physicians can wait too long to put patients on clinical trials, or they may not talk to you about clinical trials. Um, so I think it is, uh, you know, it's, you, you're being a good advocate if you ask your physicians about any triple negative breast cancer clinical trials that you may be eligible for that are available in, either within your community, you know, your own institution, or even nationally. Um, the National Cancer Institute's website has a, a list of clinical trials that are, you know, planned or underway. and. There are different phases of clinical trials, uh, and it, it kind of goes from early phase to later phase, and it's just as we get more data or information about the drug as it's being tested, the, it moves on to later phases around, uh, along the spectrum of studying that particular drug. I will also talk about successes of our clinical trials in a few minutes, and before I get to that, I wanted to just kind of give a general overview of what precision medicine is, and, um, you know, we hear this term a lot, and how is it relevant specifically for triple negative breast cancer? So cancer is a problem of uncontrolled growth of cells, and this happens due to many changes that happen in a cancer cell at a really teeny tiny, you know, molecular cellular level. Um, so precision medicine or targeted therapy is really about trying to match the so-called drivers of the cancer or what's making the cancer grow and finding medicines or drugs that can help put the brakes on the cancer. So that's, you know, that's what precision therapy is. It's finding that match of, um, you know, what's driving the growth of the cancer and how can we find a drug to put the brakes on the cancer growth? Um, in triple negative breast cancer, there are a few things that we look for. Um, specifically, uh, one of the things that Dr. Newman already brought up is what's called genetic testing. Uh, so one of the ways to identify whether there's a predisposition of cancer um, you know, uh, related to your family history or even outside of the family history 
It can help us identify mutations, and this is just a blood test. It can also be done by saliva. Um, it, it can help us identify mutations such as what's called BRCA, B-R-C-A, and there are many other uh, mutations. And now this testing has become even more important because it doesn't just inform you about your cancer risks or if this puts your family members at additional cancer risks, but it has also um, changed uh, our current standard of care uh, for treatment in metastatic breast cancer. And if you have a what's called a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, then you would be eligible for uh, oral drugs called PARP inhibitors, and I'll talk about that. So that is one way in triple negative breast cancer that genetic testing or precision medicine is, uh, has changed our standard of care and has opened up sort of this window into a new drug um, called PARP inhibitors, and patients are benefiting from this drug. These are approved drugs now and on the market, and I'll talk about that. Um, another thing to uh, also um, think about for doing, you know, testing is an immune marker um, called PDL1, and this can be tested on the tumor, and it helps us identify patients who may benefit from uh, immunotherapy drugs, um, and basically these are drugs that use our immune system to attack cancer cells. And by looking at this particular marker in the tumor, uh, we can help uh, identify patients who may benefit from immunotherapy. So I'll talk about uh, a few clinical trials. Uh, in early stage breast cancer, as I mentioned, after standard preoperative chemotherapy, so chemotherapy that's given prior to surgery, patients who have finished that and go to surgery, um, and if they have any residual cancer or cancer that was still left in the breast or lymph nodes that has been removed, that uh, gives us an opportunity to uh, give patients oral uh, chemotherapy called capecitabine or Zalota. However, in addition to that, um, there are two clinical trials that are going on nationally. And in, instead of uh, um, just Zalota, there is a clinical trial that's evaluating the role of additional chemotherapy, and it's comparing capecitabine or Zalota to a platinum chemotherapy. And the second clinical trial is evaluating the role of an immunotherapy drug in this setting. So patients who have residual triple negative breast cancer can potentially get an immunotherapy drug um, uh, as well on a clinical trial. Now, in, uh, in relation to advanced breast cancer or metastatic breast cancer, PARP inhibitors, um, as I mentioned earlier, have been approved. Um, so the first PARP inhibitor was approved back in 2018, and this is, again, for patients who have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 or BRCA mutation that has, has been identified and also have advanced breast cancer, meaning cancer that has spread to other places in the body. Um, so we have two PARP inhibitors that are approved now, and again, this highlights the importance of genetic testing, and women who are less than age 60 
with triple negative breast cancer without any family history should have genetic testing. Um, and so that is different for triple negative breast cancer compared to other breast cancer subtypes. Um, and also, like I said, it informs us beyond cancer risks now and also helps these women get access to this approved drug that may benefit from, um, you know, for treatment of their metastatic breast cancer. In terms of uh, additional drugs in metastatic breast cancer, so immunotherapy is, uh, has been looking very promising in triple negative breast cancer. So I just wanted to describe a little bit what these drugs are. Um, so tumors, you know, put up a defense against the immune cell's ability to destroy the tumor. So if you think about it, when you get a cold or a virus, you know, when our immune system is working well, it's able to put up this great defense system and get rid of the virus. In cancer cells, uh, or when patients are developing cancer, the immune system should ideally be able to do the same thing. However, the cancer cells are really smart and they put up these breaks against the immune system. So the immune system is not able to get rid of the cancer cells so quickly or so well. Um, so these new drugs, um, such as PD-1 or PDL one antibodies, they allow the, uh, the uh, immune system uh, or the cancer cells to kind of release the breaks again uh, so the immune cells can destroy the tumor, which is exactly what we want from the treatments. We want the immune system to be able to attack the cancer cells and um, destroy that tumor. In terms of uh, the drugs being used by themselves, uh, they have been, they've had limited, I would say, effectiveness, so they don't work as well when you use them by themselves, but when they're combined with chemotherapy um, or if they're combined with other drugs that is being looked at in clinical trials, they have been working really well. And we have our first drug approval of immunotherapy in metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Um, so atezolizumab or T-centric is the name of that drug. It is now approved in combination with a chemotherapy drug called napaclitaxel or Abraxin is the other name in specifically metastatic triple negative setting. Um, so when we first identify that you know, the cancer has spread to other places in the body, we at that point would recommend that the tumor be tested for this immune marker called PDL1. And if it is present, then you would benefit from this treatment. In terms of sort of a third class of drugs that I wanted to bring up, um, and I had mentioned it in the beginning, it's called a drug antibody conjugate. So these we have our first approval of a uh, drug antibody conjugate in metastatic triple negative breast cancer just as of a week ago. So this is very exciting. Um, so these are really sort of cool drugs. And basically what these are are these antibodies against a protein on a cancer cell, um, and it's linked to a chemotherapy drug. And because these... Uh, drugs are very targeted to cancer cells. It's able to discriminate between the cancer and healthy cells, 
and they tend to have lesser side effects on your body than a chemotherapy would. Um, there are a few promising drugs that are being evaluated in clinical trials, but the drug that was approved is called Sasituzumab govitecan. So it's a mouthful, and I'm sorry, um, it's a very long name, but there is a generic uh, or uh, a brand name that's coming out as well. Uh, so there are, um, this drug is now approved for patients who've had at least two prior drugs for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So any time, um, you know, if they've progressed on two prior treatments, then they can get uh, this drug and it's given IV or intravenously. Um, and then there are some side effects uh, to the drug, including uh, some nausea, lowering of the blood counts, um, fatigue, and diarrhea, uh, among some of the things that are uh, present. In addition to drug clinical trials, uh, there are also lots of tissue-based studies that may be going on at your cancer center um, that can also help move the field forward and may benefit you as well. Um, so looking at the tissue helps us evaluate the biology of the cancer and design better treatments. Um, so it can definitely be helpful that way. Now switching gear to, you know, coping with uh, treatment side effects. So in addition to managing chemotherapy side effects, I'm also going to discuss side effects of the newer drugs that I just mentioned because they can have some unique side effects. Um, so first, talking about the checkpoint inhibitor side effects. These are uh, drugs that are given intravenously again, uh, and I mentioned that you know these are drugs that are basically releasing the breaks on the immune system so the immune cells can destroy the cancer. Uh, and in that process, as the immune system is becoming active against the cancer, it can become overactivated. And uh, in that process, it can also affect our normal tissues or organs. Um, so the most commonly affected areas are skin, colon, lungs, liver, and also some endocrine glands. So I would say with these drugs, um, it is very important to make your doctors or your oncology providers aware of any new or worsening symptoms early on, since most of these side effects, uh, you know, when they're mild to moderate are reversible when recognized and treated early. They typically happen within a few weeks to months of starting the treatment. Um, but it can also happen at any point, and it can also more importantly happen after the drug has stopped. So I'm referring to the immunotherapy drug, atezolizumab, atecentric, um, you know, and, uh, when talking about all of these side effects. And then depending on the severity of the side effects, we treat it with steroids or other medications and sometimes have to stop the drug altogether. Secondly, I wanted to talk about the PARP inhibitor side effects and kind of, you know, some things to uh, just for you to be aware of. Now we have um, two approved uh, PARP inhibitors called Olaparib and Telazoparib. They're both oral pills. Uh, so again, it allows you to have kind of break from IV chemotherapy uh, or other IV medications. Um, these are, again, targeted treatments. Um, these drugs take the advantage of, you know, uh, uh, sort of these defects that are uh, uh, 
apparent in the tumor cells uh, that are related to the tumor cell's ability to repair the DNA. And um, based on that is, uh, you know, these drugs were approved. Um, so again, they're targeted and precise therapy. The side effects can include um, lowering of the blood counts, nausea, fatigue, or diarrhea. And overall, in my experience, patients find this easier to tolerate compared to chemotherapy uh, because these are, you know, pills and also have lesser side effects than most of the chemotherapy drugs that we use. In terms of management of side effects that may be related to chemotherapy or other common side effects that we see, so nausea or vomiting um, can be induced by chemotherapy. I think we do a fairly good job in managing these. Um, there are a lot of medications available on the market that uh, can help with nausea and vomiting. So I would definitely encourage you to talk to your physicians if your nausea medic uh, medications that you have been prescribed are not controlling your symptoms because uh, there are many other drugs that are available that can help you with this. In terms of neuropathy, uh, which is, you know, the numbness or the tingling that patients can experience related to many of the drugs that we use in triple negative breast cancer. There was a recent study that has shown that acupuncture can help with this symptom. Um, so I think if you have that available close by in the community, um, I would definitely encourage you to, you know, try that um, since it can help with this particular symptom. In terms of you know some of the other things that I'm sure other speakers will touch on um, is not uncommon and I would say fairly common to experience uh, fatigue, um, depression, or anxiety as you're going through the treatment or even with the with the diagnosis. Um, so I encourage my patients to um, exercise or initiate or maintain some type of physical activity that can help reduce or manage these cancer-related symptoms or even treatment-related fatigue. Um, I would also encourage you to seek out any supportive care services at your cancer center, including meeting with a social worker or a counselor or a psychiatrist. Um, there may also be some support groups or peer-to-peer -peer programs that you can participate in, which can be very helpful. Um, it's also okay to get help from family and friends. and. Um, I see many young women in my practice with children who are trying to do this all on their own. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to, you know, seek out help. Um, it's also important, um, I think, you know, if you have any infections at all, if you get a fever related to the uh, chemotherapy or any of these medications, that you alert your uh, provider team immediately. And um, I think... Uh, those are some of the sort of the common side effects that we see related to the treatments. And um, when it comes to uh, treatments of side effects, there are things that can build up as you're going through uh, many drugs in a row. And um, I think, you know, uh, just making your providers aware of these side effects, making sure that you're proactive in helping them and yourself manage these symptoms and advocating for yourself, um, that's what I would recommend. Um, thank you, Carolyn, for having me on the call, and I'll be available for any questions later on. Um, and thank you all on the line who are listening.
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Vignac. That was superb and just a wonderful, very comprehensive and informative presentation. And I'm sure there are, I know there are questions coming in now for you, so there will be questions during the Q&A. Thank you. Thanks so much. And our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinnerman. Um, Ms. Dinnerman is, is a lawyer by training, and she's co-founder and executive director of Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Ms. Dinnerman will be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and its free programs, services, and conferences. And I really want to just um, call out and thank her for actually um, supporting many of these programs that we're doing, um, educational programs we do on triple negative breast cancer, as well as supporting, and you'll hear later from one of our other speakers, about the triple negative um, helpline that we offer as well. So with great pleasure, I turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. Thank you also to my fellow speakers for those excellent presentations, um, to our sponsors, and of course to all of you for listening today. Today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Uh, all of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community from patients to survivors to caregivers and loved ones. We also work closely with many exceptional organizations, including Sisters Network and Cancer Care, to offer programming that is of particular interest to the African-American community. You'll hear more on that later from my fellow TNBC Foundation board member, Ricky Fairley. Um, today, I'd like to highlight a few of our offerings, and I sincerely hope that you'll take advantage of them as you navigate from diagnosis through treatment and finally to survivorship. So first, we have many educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular materials were, de were developed with input from members of our diverse TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. And like all of our other educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including African-American women, those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and those with metastatic disease. And we work really hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials. So I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Also, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free um, and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services, um, and we are told that they are much easier to navigate than some of the other available services because they are so specific to this um, subset. Uh, our website also has a constantly updated TNBC news section, and a favorite of our community is our online discussion forums. These forums would allow you to easily connect with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community, which includes thousands of women from those who are early diagnosed to many long-term survivors, use the forums to ask questions about treatment, um, how to manage side effects, and anything else related to TNBC. But I think most importantly, our discussion forums offer consistent support to our community. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even join anonymously. Um, of course, we also uh, like to take every opportunity to meet with you in person to offer support. As we know, given the current pandemic, this is not going to be possible for the next few months. And the TNBC Foundation normally produces uh, the, tri the triple negative program at Living Beyond Breast Cancer's Fall Conference, where we've connected with many of you every September. Um, please rest assured that while we can't meet 
in person this fall. The conference will go on. We're moving to an interactive digital platform this year. And while the conference is going to be different, it'll still include all the important educational offerings you've come to expect, in addition to opportunities to socialize with our incredible TNBC community online. So we're working hard to make it a great experience and hope you'll be able to join us. If you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll be able to register over the summer for this conference. Um, we also are working on many additional opportunities to connect with you in person as soon as the pandemic is under control and things are safe. So be on the lookout for information from us soon. As many of you know, last month we rolled out our annual TNBC Day campaign to provide our community with opportunities for education and support and to back fundraising efforts for TNBC research. Many of you on this call um, have been supporting this TNBC Foundation-led effort for years, planning and executing amazing events and email campaigns every March. And even with all that's happening in the world, you came through again this year. So I want to thank you for helping us spread the word about triple negative breast cancer. In spite of the pandemic, um, just like in past years, I'm also proud to say that 100% of the funds raised by members of our community for TNBC Day will go to support TNBC-specific research projects. And so we're looking forward to connecting with you all soon, whether on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. Hopefully soon we'll be able to connect with you in person as well. So once again, thank you for joining us. And I'll now turn the program back to you, Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Denman. That was really superb. And just such an array of services available for everybody and the collaboration with Sisters Network. It's just amazing, this work together, and also the fact that you're um, that no matter what the obstacles are that we may be presented with, that service continues, and if it can't be in person at the moment, it's going to be when virtual platforms are available. And so that's really such an important message that you all understand. We're still all here for you. That's all I can say. That's definitely true. And our next speaker is Ms. Ricky Farley, and Ms. Farley is Vice President, Strategic Partnerships and National Programs, Sisters Network, Inc., a National African-American Breast Cancer Survivorship Network. For those of you who are not familiar with this organization, you will be when um, Ms. Ms. Farley con concludes her remarks. It's a wonderful resource. And what she'll be discussing is Sisters Network, Inc., a National African-American Breast Cancer Survivorship Network, its free programs, services, and conferences. And it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Farley. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for being for letting us be here. And and I'm so impressed by all of my um, speakers on the panel. It's been a wonderful session so far. Um, I adore all of all of these women that work so hard to do the work that we do. Um, being a survivor, you know, it makes it even more special because I, you know, was a stage three survivor of triple negative. So just hearing the information again and being able to talk about it now as an advocate is is so precious to me. Um, Karen Jackson founded Sisters Network in 1994, 25 years ago, and she is now a four-time survivor of breast cancer. Um, but when she was a patient, she couldn't find any resources specifically for African-American women. So she saw the need and the opportunity to create a sisterhood for black women. So for the last 25 years, she has built and nurtured a place, a home where black women can go for support, for outreach, for education, and for even celebration, but most of all for sisterhood to find women that look like us in the room, you know. So 
Um, our organization um, has been around for 25 years, and we're committed to really increasing attention on the devastating impact that breast cancer has in the African-American community. And I think you've heard all this, the numbers so far, especially with triple negative, black women get it at twice the rate. So it's really important to have that network to support us. We have 20 chapters across the country, and um, we, we do a lot of activities in churches, in our communities. It's run by survivors to really get the, the message out to support black women. Um, overall, our goal is really to re- try to reduce the mortality rate and to provide information and resources. Um, so for, for our programs, um, you know, we've, we've all been affected by COVID and it's affected our programs. We usually have a big walk. Um, it was supposed to be last weekend, April 25th, and obviously it was canceled. But we're still trying to support our community in other ways. So, so you can always look at our website where we try to post information. Um, we post on social media every day, and we try to give information and, and really just even share sisterhood and love messages on our, on our, our social media so follow us on our social media, Sisters Network, Inc. Um, we also are, are now um, doing a virtual program on blackdoctor.org. It's on Wednesdays. You can even listen there, watch tonight on blackdoctor.org on Facebook Live. And it's called The Doctor is In. And we have a partnership with Dr. Monique Gary. And we interview, really interview survivors and interview people every day. Today we're doing a talk about self-care and dealing with anxiety during covid so that's something that we're, we're making available to everyone. And um, we're doing some outreach in the fall, and we're, we are always in working together with, with the Triple Negative Foundation. I have the pr- pleasure of being on the board of that awesome foundation, working with Haley and, and her team to put programs together that are relevant to our audience. Um, I think that all of the doctors touched on the messages kind of that we try to talk about every day and the importance of early detection. And I keep telling people, even during this COVID and, um, COVID epidemic pandemic, if you feel a lump, call the doctor. Don't be afraid to go to the doctor. Take care of that lump. If you're feeling something now and and you need, you know, you're, it's not feeling right to you, reach out and make sure you take care of yourselves because early detection is so critical, especially with triple negative breast cancer. Um, and I thought Dr. Newman spoke to this earlier too about knowing your family history. We try, I call it knowing your family her story. So talking to your family about breast cancer, knowing what your your background is, knowing what family members have been impacted by breast cancer. It's so important to talk about it. And we as black women don't always do that. And then lastly, the importance of clinical trial participation. Among the women that were diagnosed with breast cancer um, in late stages, I guess 13% of 13% for I'm sorry, 13.4% of the population are African Americans, yet clinical trial participants are about 7%. Um, for the novel drugs that were just introduced by the FDA, there's like 3% participation among African Americans. So it's so important for us to understand our physiology so that really the drug companies can help us and develop drugs that work with our genes, our physiology, and hopefully identify that there could be something we could be doing to prevent or even deal with triple negative breast cancer in a different way. So we thank you for all the support that you give us. We thank you for this opportunity to speak to women and just know that Sisters Network Inc. is here for you. We are always around. You can call us. You can email. You can tweet us. You can reach out on Facebook. And we always want to be a resource and support a sisterhood. So thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Farley. That was really outstanding and it's a wonderful resource for everybody. I just want to mention to everyone that we've throughout the call we've mentioned various resources and at the end of you in about two days you'll be getting an evaluation for um today's program and actually the evaluation will include all of the links, all of the phone numbers, everything you need to be able to reach every single resource that we mentioned, and then even some additional ones as well. So just be aware of that. But this is a superb um, resource for everyone to be aware of, and, and please take advantage of it. It's, it's just wonderful. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. She is a, um, an oncology social worker, and she is our Women and Children's Program Coordinator at Cancer Care. And she'll be discussing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free helpline and services and the role of support groups. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Good afternoon. My name is Lauren, and I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, as well as Cancer Care's Women and Children's Program Coordinator, as Dr. Mesner mentioned. My role includes working with women diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and their families. I would like to share a little bit of information about how the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline and Cancer Care can be a part of your support system. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those diagnosed with TMBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include individual short-term cancer focus, telephone counseling nationally, TMBC-specific telephone and online support groups, online forums, publications, clinical trial information, as well as limited financial assistance. By calling the TMBC helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker trained in the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TMBC. There are many aspects of a breast cancer diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, clinical trials, and communication with one's medical team are important topics that can be discussed with an oncology social worker. A cancer diagnosis can be very overwhelming. Additional support and guidance, as well as establishing a supportive network, may help to relieve feelings of anxiety related to one's diagnosis. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience who may understand what you may encounter at diagnosis as well as throughout treatment. Being a member in a support group can offer the opportunity to speak with others, gather and provide support, as well as obtain information. A support group may help to reduce those feelings of loneliness and help to increase feelings of hope and empowerment. Being a member in a support group with others who have been diagnosed with TMBC can be extremely helpful in hearing how others are coping with this diagnosis specifically. There may be several recent challenges that individuals have experienced in regards to COVID-19, as we have heard um, today earlier in our call. One possible challenge may be social distancing, a term that has become very prevalent throughout the current pandemic. As we continue to follow guidelines from the CDC, we have learned the importance of this practice. 
it can be very difficult to manage emotions related to social distancing on a daily basis. Social distancing can cause amplified feelings of isolation, and of course, this continues to be an adjustment. If your support system feels distant, see if there is an option to connect over the phone or online if possible to continue to engage with others. Some of the programs that our speakers had mentioned may be a great way to connect with others throughout this pandemic. Continue to connect with people who have common interests or who may be going through a similar experience as you. It is very possible they are looking for someone to connect with as well. There are many virtual meeting programs where people can engage with one another. If you don't have access to the internet or unable to correspond with others virtually, consider speaking over the phone. Conference calls can be a communal space for several people to join in, um, such as our, our upcoming TMBC telephone group that will be a conference call platform. Structure and routine can also be beneficial during this time. One example would be going to sleep and waking up at the same time each day. During this time, you may notice that certain activities or techniques that you've put in place to help cope through diagnosis and treatment could be paused, paused or altered. And this is really challenging. This could be a time of finding new hobbies, becoming creative, and even possibly learning something new. Explore mind-body practices that may interest you and um, can help keep you grounded during this time. This may include yoga, meditation, or mindfulness. And if possible to safe and safe to do so, connect with nature by going on a hike or taking a walk around your neighborhood while adhering to these social distancing precautions. During the current pandemic, it is important to continue to find ways to connect with others, focusing on your physical, emotional, and mental health, and possibly considering alternative ways of seeking joy and comfort. If you are interested in learning more about the services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I absolutely encourage you to call our helpline, the TNBC helpline, at 1-877-880-8622. Our oncology social workers can share additional information about our services and can also explore ways to connect with others, such as in one of our support groups. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this Connect Education workshop. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak today. I'll now go ahead and turn the workshop back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh. Thank you so much, Ms. Shetland. That was really excellent and a really superb presentation, and also the focus on the impact of social distancing and ways to cope with that. Um, well, now we have time for questions, and I'm going to ask um, Norma to bring on uh, Dr. Vignac and Ms. Italian for the Q&A period and myself, and we will um, take questions. There, we have a lot of questions. We're probably not going to be able to take all of your questions. We're going to try to take as many as we can. Um, so, um, Ms. Norma will explain to all of you Thank how you. to queue up for questions. And yes. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit your questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Lynn F. Your line is open. Yes, thank you very much. Great program. Uh, I was just wondering if there is any information on the Artemis trial that was coming out of MD Anderson, and that that particular trial recommends genomic testing of a triple negative tumor 
at the onset of neoadjuvant chemotherapy to see if indeed it's expected that that tumor is going to respond favorably um, because we do know that we've got you know, some cancers that are insensitive to chemotherapy. So rather than waste all that time and toxicities, uh, hoping that we're getting some feedback on that trial. Okay, thanks, thanks, Juan. Thanks, good to have you on the call. Um, and Dr. Vignac, could you address that question? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I think Artemis trial is, uh, you know, an excellent trial, and it's uh, – basically looking at uh, a way to improve our uh, treatments in uh, the preoperative space um, and then also, you know, going beyond chemotherapy um, and looking at targeted therapy approaches in the triple negative setting, especially in the new adjuvant space. Um, outside of that clinical trial, uh, you know, as standard, we're not recommending that approach. Um, we don't have results of the Artemis trial yet, so I can't comment on if that is a successful approach or not, uh, but I do uh, encourage participation in that study, um, and I think it's looking at uh, just a novel approach of, you know, treating, uh, you know, triple negative breast cancer in early stage, especially with, uh, you know, preoperative therapy, and then knowing what to do uh, when these patients have uh, residual cancer. Thank you. Thanks so much. And um, there's another question for you, um, actually from one of our online participants, Dr. Vignac. Um, I joined the discussion a little late. Was there um, or will there be a discussion about Zolota or Capcitabine? Yeah. Um, so thank you for that question. I did mention uh, Zolota or Capcitabine in the context of uh, residual triple negative breast cancer. So um, patients who get uh, chemotherapy prior to surgery um, and if they still have some residual cancer in the breast or lymph nodes after they have completed their chemotherapy, those patients do benefit from uh, Zolota or capecitabine. Um, we typically recommend you know, six to eight cycles of that treatment based on a, a clinical trial uh, called CREATE-X. And um, it can also, Zolota or capecitabine can also be used uh, to uh, control the cancer in more advanced stage or metastatic setting. Um, thank you. And another question for you, actually. Um, do you have any dietary suggestions that may help to improve patient and survivor's prognosis? Dr. Diniak. Sure. Um, so thank you for that question. I. I think, um, you know, typically uh, I recommend sort of a heart-healthy, uh, you know, type of diet. Um, so, you know, rich in fruits and vegetables, rich in greens, um, low in, uh, you know, sort of red meat um, or uh, really high-fat content. Um, and I think uh, in addition to diet, uh, we know exercise uh, so moderate intensity exercise up to 150 minutes per week. So that's about 30 minutes, five days a week. Um, that's also been shown uh, to be of benefit uh, in breast cancer patients. Excellent. And um, another question for you, Dr. Vignac. Um My doctor recommended surgery and chemotherapy. Why is he not um, using hormone therapies as the treatment plan? If you could explain that a bit. Sure. 
Um, that's a, an excellent question, and a lot of patients uh, with triple negative breast cancer ask that question because they have, you know, friends and other folks that they know um, who have been on a pill for many years, and, you know, they ask uh, how come we're not offering that medication for them. So in terms of uh, just the biology of the triple negative breast cancer, um, there's the three markers that we look at on all tumors. Uh, one is called estrogen receptor or ER. Second one is called progesterone receptor or PR. Both of these are hormone markers. Um, so only when they're overproduced in a type of breast cancer, we know that women would benefit from the hormone blocking pills uh, in, in that situation. So by definition, triple negative breast cancer has the absence of the hormone markers, such as ER or PR. Um, so unfortunately, uh, we know that in triple negative breast cancer, women would not benefit from a hormone blocking pill um, that you know, is offered and definitely recommended for ER, PR positive type of breast cancers. Thank you. And a question from Ms. Chatelian. Um, so my neighbor was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and her husband is currently unemployed. Are there financial resources I can recommend for her? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can definitely explain a little bit about, you know, some financial options. Um, there are some great organizations that do offer small grants to help alleviate some of the cancer-related costs, possibly traveling to and from treatment, um, maybe home care um, or child care. So through um, the partnership of Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, we do offer um, some small grants. Um, I would definitely recommend giving the helpline a call and the social workers can let you know um, what may be available as far as funding. And we can also take a look at some additional resources. Um, also, some options may be co-payment assistance um, organizations to help with the cost of, you know, possibly prescribed treatments. And we could take a look and see what kind of um, funding may be available as well during this time. So there, there may be some options available. Um, one last suggestion would be also if she, um, you know, or her husband would be interested in speaking to the um, cancer treatment center, maybe the financial department or a social worker, there may be um, some different plans that, you know, someone could pursue, see what the options may be. But I would definitely um, share that there are some organizations that could really help alleviate some of these costs. Excellent. Thank you. And our last question, and this will be for Dr. Zinniak. Um, this is from an online participant. Are there any immunotherapy drugs used for prevent prevention after receiving all other general forms of treatment um, and um, uh, chemo, lumpectomy, radiation, and saloda? Um, and this is a one-year, two-month survivor. But if you could just answer this question in a general way about immunotherapy. Sure. Yeah, um, uh, that's, a, that's an excellent question. In terms of you know, uh, uh, so from my understanding, the question is about are there immunotherapy drugs uh, sort of being used in uh, a preventative fashion in early stage breast cancer? So after women have completed um, their standard chemotherapy, have gone to surgery, so this is in the setting when we're using 
again, the preoperative chemotherapy approach, so pre-surgical chemotherapy, and then they go to surgery. And if there is residual cancer, um, we talked about capecitabine or Zalota as a standard option. Um, those women would also be a candidate for a clinical trial. So there's a couple of clinical trials that are ongoing in that setting. Um, one is looking at a different chemotherapy compared to Zalota or capecitabine, so a platinum chemotherapy. And another uh, clinical trial is specifically looking at immunotherapy. Um, so this study is open through SWOG, um, which is a cooperative group network, um, and there are many institutions, cancer centers that participate in SWOG. Um, and this particular clinical trial is exactly looking at patients who have residual cancer after they finish chemotherapy, and it randomizes, so it randomly assigns them to either getting an immunotherapy drug called pembrolizumab or Keytruda, or they go on to an observation arm. So there is a potential of getting immunotherapy drug um, in that setting. Excellent. And well, actually, there is one last question. <laughs> this one I'm going to give again to Dr. Vinyak, and this will be our last question, but it seems an important one, and I know in this community it's very important as well. Regarding post-TNBC treatment versus fertility and childbearing, what are the latest recommendations, findings, remarks in terms of this? And this is, of course, a very important question, and obviously it's one one wants to ask one's healthcare team, but Dr. Vinyak, if you could just comment on this in a general way. Sure. Um, so there are some, you know, um, clinical trials going on in this setting. You know, uh, I, I think uh, uh, fertility and, um, you know, childbearing, these are obviously very important things um, uh, in our day-to-day -day life that, you know, we grapple with uh, in, you know, in the sort of the context of getting cancer treatments. So I would say um, I'll comment on uh, fertility, and I think it's uh, I want to mention that prior to starting, you know, chemotherapy, I would definitely um, encourage, uh, you know, patients who wish to have, um, you know, children in the future to meet with a fertility specialist prior to starting chemotherapy to discuss their options, um, and I think. Uh, you know, uh, there are uh, many options that are, that are on the table, um, and a fertility specialist can, you know, guide them, uh, guide you appropriately. There's uh, options of, you know, freezing embryos. There's option of uh, freezing eggs, um, and they both have, you know, different success rates in the future. In terms of additional things that I recommend during chemotherapy, so, uh, you know, after even doing the fertility preservation, such as, you know, egg or embryo freezing, if that is an option. During chemotherapy, usually about um, about two weeks prior to starting chemotherapy, um, I recommend uh, using an injection to suppress the ovaries from producing hormones, uh, something called Lupron or Goserelin. There, is, uh, there are a couple of different other ones. Um, so we give that monthly during chemotherapy to try to, you know, basically uh, prevent uh, premature menopause or prevent or reduce the risk of the ovaries kind of shutting down after chemotherapy. 
Um, so those are a few things that we can um, do definitely to help with uh, preserving fertility. Awesome, thank you. And Ms. Shalin, do you want to comment on this in terms of just the counseling services that we offer um, to to women with these concerns? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do have our short-term cancer-focused telephone counseling with an oncology social worker. Um, some of these concerns, you know, definitely um, something to, to discuss in that space. Um, it's a great way um, to be able to express some of these concerns, you know, challenges, fears, and even, com you know, ways to approach these conversations, communicating with your healthcare team, um, and then even, you know, as I mentioned, some of the support groups hearing from others who may have gone through this experience or continue to go through this experience, um, I, I find that, you know, to be very helpful also. Well, thank you so much. I want to thank our speakers. They've really been just phenomenal and amazing program and, I, and the wonderful resources and just wonderful information that, that you've gotten today. So I want to thank you. I also want to thank all of you who have enhanced the program by being here, first of all, on the call, but also by actually asking questions, great questions on the phone and online as well that really enable our speakers to address particular topics that are of concern to you. As we wind up the program today, I just want to um, kind of wrap it up a bit and by saying that, first of all, um, we, there are many resources that you can access from Cancer Care, from Sisters Network, um, from um, Triple Negative Breast Cancer um, Foundation. We want you to take advantage of those. There are many resources. You'll be getting information about all those different resources um, from us. Most importantly, as we conclude today, we would prefer that none of you feel alone. I know that you're all going to feel alone, of course, sometimes. Of course, it's normal to feel alone. Um, and it's even more normal to feel alone now because of the social distancing and things like that. Nevertheless, please tuck away that there are all of these resources available to you, and we're here for you either by phone or a mouse click away on your computer to reach, reach out to us and to become a part of these virtual communities and to get the support you need. So I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.